You're listening to Transplaner RPG, an all-transgender, people-of-color-led, dark-fantasy actual play channel set in an original non-colonial, anti-orientalist multiverse. The Chaos Protocol is our second main campaign and stars Valiant Dorian, Kai Kay, and Sam Starr as players, with C. Thomas as the producer and Connie Chong as the game master. Transplaner RPG is sponsored by Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon, because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy failing upward, and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you, Dimitri, and thank you so much for supporting our work. Content warnings for this episode include pirates and piracy, heights, falling, spiders, bug horror, swarms, body horror, romance, flirting, complex and complicated relationships, grief, trauma, fantasy violence, ankle gore, body horror, and references to poaching, pollution, fire, immolation, imprisonment, and environmental collapse. Arc 1, Episode 21. Crimson Sails. From Self-Eulogy of a Martyr by Connie Chong. The rig ferrets are whispering. Pitter-patter, up and down, side to side, their little feet scabble over frayed knots and tightly woven hemp. In the twilight, they look like fluid shadows pulsing over the foot ropes that loom far above the polished broadwood deck. Most of the ferrets continue to work, double-checking the safety lines of the rig ropes, nosing at the laundry to make sure it's dry, but the curious ones pause on the great bladed bow spirit, watching the interrogation unfold on the other ship. Compared to the fourth guide, the boarded vessel is a broken tin can, all rusted metal and serrated edges. It's an ugly ship, even by poachers' standards, with a bite of noisy, gnashing teeth and a smoke-spewing jawbox engine. The crew is sizable. 10, 15 wild sailors. That was no problem for you. Your crew is nearly twice that number. Five of your best wild sailors were more than enough to board, subdue, and restrain the poachers in a matter of minutes. The captain of the poachers is a stout, growling man with slick red tentacles for hair and light brown skin. Cactus spines jut from the base of his neck like porcupine quills, flaring as he strains and pulls at the ropes that bind him to the main mast. As your crew silently and efficiently goes through his ship, grabbing anything of value they can get their hands on, the captain's muddy green eyes glare hatefully up at you. Axel, the Pirate Queen. You caught these poachers sailing your leaves without a care, without respect, without even a tithe to your crew. You run these waves. Everyone knows the East Green belongs to Axel. No, not belongs. That's not the right word. That's the word other people use when they describe your holdings, but you've never had a territorial or possessive view of the rustling waves around you. East Green is your home. That's what makes you so damn effective. Still, the poachers were here. They were disrespecting the Wild Sea with their loud bites and polluting engine and brash, arrogant cleaving of the wildlife around them. Keyword, were. Now they're tied up, disarmed, bound, gagged, save for the captain. He looks up at you now, eyes narrowed, jaw set, and you, in every sense of the word, are looking down at him. Axel, what do you look like, and how do you begin this interrogation, which has begun like so many others? You see Axel, the pirate queen, in all of their, it's his, her glory. At this point, what does it matter? They stalk and walk towards the pirate with four large spidered limbs 
extending from their back. They are humanoid in shape, but this is a kind of mask. If you look closely at the deep, dark black tattoo marks that run all across their skin, you'll notice that in fact, they move. It's alive. A colony of spiders creating one interestingly beautiful creature. Their skin is made up of the silk that the spiders create in a dark gray blue hue. The negative space where the spiders cannot do their work as they figure out how to create the map of the wild sea as Axel knows it on any given time. They make up uh, their sort of skin and visual features. They have a smooth, bald, moving spider head with spider eyes that tingle, spider muscly, rustling sinew. They are all the genderless dreams <laughs> that one could that one could aspire to. A rough and tumbler type of fighter. Once they reach the pirate they step back onto their sort of hind back legs and bring up their humanoid legs and cross them over and place their elbows on their knees and their chin on their hands, staring down at the pirate. Well, go ahead. What do you want? You gonna cut my throat? You already took all my loot, all my hides, all my skins, all the tusks and the pounds of flesh we were collecting. What else do you want, my dignity? No, that's long gone, my friend. You do not own these seas. You do not own these lands, and if you decide to traverse them, you must do so with respect and kindness, not so noisy and bawdy. It's not like you would know anything about what it's like to be a poacher anyway. Times are lean. Piracy doesn't really get you the kind of scrap and salvage you need to not just survive, but thrive. These calamities, you know, can't really fault me for taking what I have to take to feed myself and my crew, I guess, but mostly myself. And that is where you falter, my friend. Community and living in relationship to one another. We are all community, as they sort of gesture at their body that begins to slightly move like an amoeba a little bit as their spiders readjust. And today you shall be fed back to the sea that you wish to rob. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. You know what? I, hey, Captain Wayne writes all about community. Uh, isn't that right, boys? And all of the other pirates are gagged. So there's a very unenthusiastic from like the rest of his crew that are tied to another mast. Yeah, you see, you hear him? Oh, listen, <laughs> listen, never let the record show that the wretch beaks ever didn't pay their dues. Listen, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know you owned these leaves. All right, so why don't you let myself go? Hey, you can toss him overboard, you know, if the sea really needs a, needs a tithe. Uh, but let me go, let me go. I'm sure we can reach some kind of an accord here. I scuttle my legs over to the men that are gagged and use one of my sort of tendricled, kind of sharp talent legs to remove their gags from their mouths. Please, we hate our captain. <laughs> well, that's what I thought, but I wanted him to hear it himself. What? Lady, you God, don't listen to them, okay? They just, they just came on last week, you know? They don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, and I'm already first mate. You're a shit captain. And the rest of the crew let out a through muffled gags. <laughs> um, you see that Axel sort of descends from their seat, their little throne that they make themselves and stands on their humanoid feet, grabbing the captain by the sort of scruff of their kind of cactoid collar. <gasps> this will go much easier if you do not resist. Give yourself forth to the forest, and then you will finally know what it means to be of service. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I think as you're hauling him out from the ropes toward one of the uh, the railings, he's struggling very uselessly, flopping like a dying fish in your grasp. Oh, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You, you can't even blame me. I'm just a symptom, I'm not the cause. There's this group, the, uh, the Ashen. 
okay? They're paid top scrap to bring in any kind of poaching, okay? It's, it's, it's irresponsible, the kind of salvage that they're offering to crews that'll bring in even a single tusk, twice the weight of poached goods. You know, for, for nothing, for nothing from us, we get everything in return. We're incentivized to do this. You can't blame the common man. I gave you information. That's gotta be worth my life, right? Yes, that is a fair assessment. <sighs> However, we will see whether you will be of use on our ship. What? Tie him up. What? Wait, no, I don't. Wait, hold, hold on. And then I think uh, members of your crew surge forward and just wordlessly start tying him up. They gag him. Last thing he says is, "What you?" Uh, and they pull him uh, off stage left. And kind of at this point, the last of your crew is starting to stalk past as well. They're hauling various treasure that they took from the poachers, uh, scraps, supplies, rations, maps, even weapons. And as they start to pile onto the gangplank and embark upon the guide, one of your crew members breaks away and begins to approach you. And you recognize her instantly. This is Umber, your first mate. Umber is a hardy, muscular person, 5'7", five, 5'9". Five, they wear a sleeveless tunic that exposes very well-built arms, these loose-fitting pants, and notably, no shoes. Their skin is a deep, dark brown with long, very long hip-length braids covered on top by a silk head wrap styled into a very pirate-like bandana. And they've got these immaculately laid edges on top of her brow, and she tilts her head in your direction, Axel. And her next words are quiet and careful, only you can hear them. Captain, the boat's been picked clean. What should we do about the rest of the poachers? Bring them onto the ship and put them to work with the ferrets. Very well. They can uh, earn their keep. And Umber leans over, signaling with a series of hand gestures to the rest of the crew of the fourth guide, who immediately start smiling and begin to untie the poacher's crew. And you can hear one of your crew members starting the speech that you're so used to after a raid. Welcome aboard the most notorious pirate vessel in the East Green. For those who wish to keep sailing, consider this your trial period. For those who wish to return home to your spits, follow me to the cartographer's quarters. And I think as the last of them start piling onto the gangplank, boarding the fourth guide once more, uh, Umber comes back to you and I think uh, crosses their arms over their chest, tilts their head to the side, a little deferentially toward you, a little respectfully. And when they cock their head back up, their dark brown eyes are, I think, resonant with a little bit of, as it always is, concern after such boardings. Captain, did you... Ask this one as well, what you usually ask. No. He uh, seems too involved in his own pursuit. Someone like him would only see the edge of his own nose. I see. And you can see that Umber's gaze is probing you for like, if, if that's why you didn't ask or if it's something else, something that she is hoping for. Or perhaps, Subconsciously, Captain, do you think that maybe your lack of a question is maybe a sign to start? And then those two dreaded, oft-repeated words from Umber's mouth move on. Don't you tire of knowing exactly what I'm going to say? Captain, I could never tire of anything coming from your mouth. She's alive. I feel it. I know it in every fiber of my bone, in every tendril of my body. And the more you impede my path, the harder it is for me to connect with you. Captain, no, Axel, it is no surprise that I continue to be concerned for you. You have been haunted by her ghost for ten years already. I don't want this ghost to haunt you until your grave. I want you to live. She lived for us. You are only here because of her. If you wish to speak about this with me further, 
Save it for when we are on our search. A brief knife of a moment when you think she might talk back. Sometimes she does, sometimes she doesn't. This time she doesn't. Closes her mouth, raises her head, nods sharply. Yes, Captain. And Umber turns and goes back up the gangplank. And I think as you yourself haul up the gangplank as well, the crew pulls back the boarding hooks and the fourth guide is off. And as your ship's navipede limbs scuttle silently over the canopy, the mists thicken around you until the poacher's vessel is but a dark blot in the distance. And even as your crew celebrates their considerable haul and start hazing the new recruits as the rig ferrets all start coming down, right? Uh, even as Vosh starts singing and Benny joins in and Lena and Levi start to dance, Umber's dark eyes never leave you. Your first mate is concerned about you, of course. She has been for a decade and she will be until the day you either conclude your impossible quest or die trying. When the fourth guide boards Storm Chaser, it begins as it always does, silently. The weather conditions couldn't have been more perfect. A sudden nighttime fog to impede visibility, a low tide gust that obscured the scurrying of your ship's bite, even a swell of phosphor pollen to hide your crew's scent. The guide pulls up next to Storm Chaser as a titan astride a mortal. It is easily two, three times her size, and it is not seen until it is too late. She surfaces out of the fog like a sudden breaching predator, a ship that resembles a massive beetle with a chrysalid hull of chitinous plate, glossy and green, blending in perfectly with the emerald leaves all around you. Its prow is shaped like the horn of a rhinoceros beetle, and the bowsprit alone is a third of the length of Storm Chaser. Scuttling legs protrude from the undercarriage, carrying the vessel along undulating waves with silent speed. But by the time Nova sees the fourth guide, the pirates are already upon you. And I need all of you at this point to roll 2d6, please. No modifiers, just 2d6, except Axel. You can roll an edge and a skill of your choice because you are the one coordinating the surprise attack. And because I am a kind and benevolent game master, Nova has been allowed to clear four boxes on any track right before the session began to represent their rest and recuperation after the Raya because they're gonna need it. So now let's start with Zynan. What was your highest result? Four. A four, okay. Zynan. Descending out of nowhere, swinging from ropes are three pirates. One of them lands on the Manticrow's nest, which is where you are, 30 feet above Storm Chaser's deck, directly in front of you. She is a muscular, dark-skinned woman with loose-fitting pants, braids, a head wrap, no shoes, no weapons as far as you can tell. And the first mate of the fourth guide immediately takes a martial stance in front of you, feet apart, hands raised into cutting palms, and she smiles at you. Sorry, love, am I interrupting something? And because you rolled a four, you, I think, managed to get your bearings right before this pirate lands. Something on the back of your neck pricks up. You get the sense that something is swinging out of the mist, and I think your eyes catch the movement before she's come out of the mist like a ghost taken shape and lands in front of you. So you're able to perform one small defensive maneuver of your choice before Umber strikes out. And what's that defensive action? I think he's gonna just put up his hands and instead of actually engaging Umber, he's gonna yell, boarding! Mmm, okay. So you're trying to give the rest of your crew a heads up. All right, okay, you know what? Great. I think what that means though, because you're not physically trying to guard yourself, that means Umber strikes out, I think with a palm and with the flat of her heel out punches you in the throat. 
in an attempt to basically discombobulate you with like martial mathematical precision. So I need you to mark one and you're now reeling is kind of the condition that's been imposed upon you. I think at this point, Sayer, the other two pirates who have also landed on the Manticore's nest swing out of nowhere and land on you. Like both of them feet first tackle you, pummel you in the chest uh, and tackle you off of the side of the Manticrow's nest. And the three of you go tumbling into the mist, heading 30 feet down toward the Broadwood planks. What did you roll? I rolled a five. A five, that's pretty good. Okay, okay, okay. That's a conflict. So as you're spinning in midair, you get the sense that these pirates are very coordinated. They're trying to manhandle you basically and dexterously move their bodies in such a way that when you land, both of them will land on top of you and use you as a cushion. Uh, so you'll not just take the hit from like landing on your back, you're also gonna take the hit from cushioning two different bodies on top of you. But because you did roll a five, you get the chance to kind of like muscle them off a bit as you're in midair. So what does it look like as you're trying to outmaneuver their maneuvers? Sayer remembers his teachings underneath Lieutenant Rafik of Raya. And as he is tumbling down, he feels the wind underneath his arms clicks a button on his winged gauntlets and a flurry of black feathers open up and he is going to use the air to push himself up, turn around, grab them both by the chest and say, not like this and slam down on two of them as he lands onto the deck of the ship. It is still a conflict. So as you grab both of them and you're kind of like diving down, you're drawing onto your Sky Warrior training that you had for that like several days in the Raya. It came quite naturally to you, the feathers come out, but both of them at the same time as you're like 15 feet away from hitting the ground. In complete coordinated fashion, both of them punch upward and knock at your elbow. Like that weak point <clears throat> that causes you to fan your wings outward. So both of them also land pretty hard on the ground, but so do you, and you'll have to mark one. Uh, from just ugh, taking that hit. Marking barrel chested. Makes sense to me. Sayer, as you stagger to a stand, right? Ugh, you hit the ground kind of hard, <clears throat> getting to uh, getting to your feet. Both of these pirates roll away from you. They're both very nimble. You're strong, they're nimble, and they kind of wiggle out of your grasp, and they roll up to their feet as well, brandishing weapons this time. One of these pirates flourishes a pair of nunchucks, while the other spins out this uh, collapsible staff out and then over their shoulders and then brandishes it out by their left side. And both of these pirates are identical to each other. They're twins. They are six feet tall each and both of them are grinning from ear to ear. And then again, in perfect coordination, they rush you. And now cutting over to Lumira and Suhyun. So the two of you are in the middle of the ship. Some. 20 feet away from the base of the Manticore's nest when three pirates spring onto the deck. You feel Storm Chaser jerk and kind of groan, and it almost feels like she's been hooked onto by some kind of unseen boarding mechanism. You also see the fourth guy from your vantage point. Uh, you're the closest to it. It is looming out of the mist on the starboard side, seemingly out of nowhere. But there's no time to consider this sudden massive vessel. These three pirates are trying to fan out and surround you. So what did you get on your roll? I got a five. Did I hear Zynan say boarding? Was I was I close enough to, to hear that? You know what, you, you did, and I think why don't you roll one more d6 and you take the highest as an example of Zynan's shouting out, helping his crew. That's what I'm talking about, pop, pop. Six. That was worth, wow, okay. That is a triumph. Lumira, you hear Zynan shout out, boarding, and then it is like time slows down. Like the rocking of the ship from side to side, being hit by this unseen mechanism, just like everything's suspended in jello. And I think you feel fast. Everything around you is so slow, or maybe it's just you that's fast, or maybe it's both at the same time. And then you feel a kind of lurching sensation right underneath the pit of your solar plexus. It feels very similar to when the drifter pulled you into the liminal, but this time you're not being frozen. You're sensing something 
time-related, something flung out of time. It's a kind of precognition. And I think even as you're moving slowly, the only thing in your vicinity that is moving at your speed as quickly as you are with your pace are Suhyun's eyes. They slide very quickly in their gaze and lock onto you. And you see them mouth, though you don't hear the words, right? Uh, the action comes before the sound catches up to it. A vision. And Suhyun seems to have recognized what's happening with you as a prophet. And now these three pirates come out of the mist. They like explode out of the mist, but it's like they're landing in slow motion. And as all three of them try to take position, you can tell exactly where each of them is trying to go in order to surround you. You have the full and complete upper hand in the situation. How do you use that to your advantage to throw these three off balance? Lumira is a healer. She knows more than anyone else how to put a body back together. But also on the flip side of that, she also knows where the body is the weakest. So as she sees everything slow motion, she realizes, oh, mm-hmm. And boot knife digs into the side of her boot and kind of crouches and slides. And as she's like running, she slides directly across the back, like across the back of the three, and she's nicking Achilles' heels as she's sliding through right across. Oh, oh okay. Oh, that is grungy and nasty and I love it. So you're moving with like sharp, surgical precision to just like take them out before they can even land and put out a single hit. All three of them with a triumph. With a triumph, let's say you can absolutely fully take one of them out of commission. I will have you make rolls to see if you also take the other two. That's fine. But with a, with a six, with a six, yeah, one okay. of them is completely out of commission. So I'll give you your options of the three. So the first pirate, let's say, is a skinny, nimble boxer. They have short brown hair and these cloth wraps around their forearms and their fists. The second pirate is a fat, fan-wielding dancer with these billowing robes and this long, luxurious red hair. And the third dancer is a stout, burly fighter who has an iron yo-yo that they're flicking between their fingers. So which of these three are you just taking out of commission? Let's take out the biggest one first. With the, the fan? fan the answer with the okay. fan. And then I will absolutely roll for the two boxers. Like the two like kind of fighters. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So slash. Uh, and I think there's a stumbling motion from this person who seems extremely graceful, right? As soon as they land, it's almost like they like land with a billowing motion, but then you're there, bam, slash. Uh, and they let out a, oh, like they were completely not expecting that. They stumble and fall onto a knee. And immediately you see the boxer and the fighter turn in concern. And the boxer cries out, Benny! And the fighter just lets out a, huh, and starts like really just twirling that yo-yo, getting it into like a really fast spinning motion and starts to charge you. Suhyun is just trying to slip away. <laughs> All of their attention is on you. Suhyun is not uh, a yeah, fighter. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I would have, I would have locked eyes with them and been like, get out of here. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. They needed no further urgency, right? They're gone, right? They're like scuttling away from this, the scene of this fight. Not just to run away. You don't see them go for like the ladder to go below deck. You see them rushing to a different part of the fight, right? Even though they're not a fighter, they still seem to want to help in some way, just not in melee like this. And you see them actually heading toward the far end of the ship. And now we like push across this main deck and we go toward the aft where we see two more pirates swinging over the banister. Squall, this whole time, has been sleeping on an improvised nest that Abasi very lovingly put together last night. But as soon as the pirates land and start to board and as Zainan shouts that warning out, Squall the Triforodon, the massive lion slash bird, shoots awake, snarling and growling, his sharpened beak flashing out like a knife. 
and he starts to splay his wings, to leap into the air, to fly, to take to atmosphere. But the pirates are a little too fast, a little too coronated. They throw a massive net over this beast and they start to subdue him, just to take him out of the equation. And Squall is roaring, straining, struggling against this net as the pirates struggle to hold him down, letting out a, hey boy, hey boy, not here to hurt you, just stay, trying to like hold him down, take him out of the fight. Notably for Strike Team Nova, Sing and Abasi are not here. They were below deck when the attack was launched and they haven't surfaced quite yet. This is the scene of chaos as the fourth guide boards Storm Chaser. Axel, as the Pirate Queen, as captain of the guide, where do we find you during this boarding process and what are your actions or orders as the captain along with the role that you got? As the captain, when I left the ship, I gave out all silent orders to board and take non-lethal damage, but get everything that you can. I then dove into the rustling waves and began to quietly wave walk my way across to the ship, scuttling to kind of board it from like the back, mm. kind of crawling up over it, allowing the chaos to kind of reign and just kind of see sniffing out what's on this on this boat. And I rolled two fives. Okay. So that's a conflict with a twist. Okay. I think. And then with um with aspects can I send off a little swarm scout? Yes! <laughs> and this little swarm scout's job, it's like I just one of my little spiders, like once I've kind of gotten onto the ship, I just send out one of my little spiders and their job is just to kind of look and see what the defensives are like internally inside the ship, but also just looking for Iffy Excellent. as well. Just like, is Iffy in a hole that is somewhere here? Absolutely. What does it look like as the swarm scout comes out of your body and what part of the body does it exude from? So kind of like from their, like out just like from their, like uh, just behind their jaw bone and crawling over their sort of face and out as they just like pick them up with a little finger made also out of silk and a cluster of spiders mm. sending off this teeny tiny little baby little spider. Yeah, what kind of spider very cute. is it? Is it like a tarantula? Oh, very, very cute. Yeah, but like, but like a baby, like super furry, very, very cute, very adorable, just a really sweet, adorable, cute spider, which which is how I'm having to skin them for me because I'm terrified of spiders, but I chose this thing, so here we are. <laughs> <laughs> but just a really, really, really sweet, cute, little, adorable spider as it kind of goes. Yeah, it's kind of like, I'm imagining like one of those adorable little jumping spiders, like one of those like fuzzy, colorful ones. Yeah, it like comes out like with its two tiny little like front legs and then it jumps. Like the size of like a pea. We follow it as it scuttles across, you know, the Broadwood, like as feet stomp down, as like a triforodon claw comes up, it like ducks under the claw, it like goes under a foot right before it slams down, it ducks and it weaves, it like gets into the cracks of a crate, right? And then it scuttles between a gap in the slats of the Broadwood and it vanishes below deck, right? And disappears. You can see through this scout's eyes, correct? Oh, yeah. Okay, so your vision from your perspective, you have multiple eyes already. You see your world kind of doubled. Overlaid on top of the fighting ship is the under deck, the below deck of Storm Chaser. You see a kind of like dank hallway superimposed over this foggy above deck chaotic fighting, but you're very used to this. So you can parse both feeds with crystal clarity if you so choose. So that does happen because that is your aspect. With your conflict with a twist though, I think what that means is you do successfully silently board the aft of the ship. So you're right where Squall, this huge Triforodon, it's basically like a griffin, a uh, very big, could maybe fit like three or four adult people on its back, is wrestling inside a net with two of your stronger pirates. They're like very powerful, but this is like a, a very strong beast of the wild sea that these two uh, crewmates are trying to subdue. Uh, I think the conflict is Squall's body lashes out. It has like a big burly lion-like tail and it like, it's, it's coming right at you. Uh, so how are you trying to maneuver your way out from it? Or do you just kind of take the hit? 
No, 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 no. Immediately, what I can may I use an aspect? Please, please. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I'm allowed to use them whenever I want. Okay, cool. Yes. So as I sort of notice this tail kind of coming at me, first of all, I'm just in awe of this beautiful creature, um, Axel absolutely adores all sights and sounds and tastes of new and wonderful places like brimming with curiosity but as I sort of clock that this tail is coming at me I immediately use shirk the skin and all of the silk around me kind of falls away and I just become like this massive like spiders and just kind of allow myself to sort of move maneuver out of the way and then reform back the same just slightly different okay I think you reform like several stairs down and now you're kind of midship right I think equidistant from where Sayer just landed with Luna and Levi as you know them the twins and where Lumira is being attacked by the yo-yo user, as well as the uh, kind of boxer-like scrawny fighter. And then I think as you are discoagulated in this mass of spiders and silk, uh, the prince, him Suhyon, had been rushing in Squall's direction, freezes as they are, I think, entangled in you. Like they've started to step into the swarm that is you that parts perfectly around their feet. So none of the spiders that make up your body, none of the tens of thousands of spiders that make up your form get squashed. And then they kind of freeze and look down as their eyes flick from eye to eye to eye to eye to eye. There are so many eyes for them to look at, at their feet all around you. And so many eyes looking up at them and it clicks immediately, Axel. This person on this random ass ship in the middle of your leaves is the scion of Chongxin Surge. Okay, so my very next move would be to kind of form around them, um, come sort of back together into my form, and then my four sort of extra limbs wrap around them and kind of cage them. Like safely, like no harm, like I don't want to hurt this person. I just want them to be around me and tight right next to my body. It's really loud. So although Axel really loathes being loud, on a ship and would rather use old hand there's no line of sight that they can currently see so they're they're going to whistle out using like the little ferret whistle that they used to like call up the ferrets if they're needed and just go i can't whistle <laughs> sort of calling out to the crew okay to kind of go hang on there's, there's something, something here. here okay i need yeah. to know how fucking horrifying this is from the prince perspective. Uh, as these spiders start to form the shape of a four-armed humanoid made of silk skin that starts to wrap and lace itself around limbs made out of moving spiders, right as the whistle starts to come out of your still-forming body, we cut up to Zynan. Zynan, you've been throat punched. Uh, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts and you are reeling. What this means is she gets another hidden. So Umber closes the gap between the two of you with like a very measured stride. And then her foot comes up, right? She winds up and like kicks you square in the chest. And it's meant to be a kind of like, not to knock you overboard, but meant to like take the wind out of your lungs so she can follow up with one more chop. You're seeing it coming from the side of your eye to your temple. And you know that if that hit connects, you will be knocked unconscious. So what do you do to try to dodge that hit or intercept it? I think Zynan, when he hits the railing of the manticore's nest, wraps an arm. It's cable, right? Mm, why sure. not? Yes, yeah. it's sexy cable. I have, I have some... It's copper. Ooh, it's like unshielded copper. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. And I think he just chasing. wraps an arm around it and pushes himself backwards holding onto the cable. Like a and boxer? It's going, no, it's going to willingly dangle himself off the edge of the manticore's nest trying to not take the next hit. So you're gonna like swing yourself out of the way and like dangle from the rope. That's gonna be, I think, grace as an edge, probably. Yeah. <laughs> grace or iron. Uh, and sell me I was gonna skill. say brace, like literally wrapping his arm in the cable mm -hmm. to kind of hold himself in place so that this assailant can't knock him off of this very high perch. Okay, go for it, make that roll. That's two fives. Okay, that's a five with a twist. So that means you're not locked out immediately, but you, I think the conflict is you're now dangling yeah. 
uh, holding on with a single arm. You are basically at their mercy unless you're able to turn the tables very quickly. The twist. That chop goes wide as you drop out of the way. Uh, she looks and then sees you down, right? And now you see her like come to the edge of the manticore's nest and look down at you. And she doesn't attack you immediately. She actually takes a beat. And they're like dark brown eyes kind of gloss over with the sense of like, you're no longer a threat. I can take care of you whenever I want to. And now they kind of, you see the twist, they get a little distracted. You see their eyes move away from you, past you, to what's at the bottom of the ship. And cause you're dangling there, you can look down and see what it is that they're looking at as well. You see the Prin beginning to be surrounded by this spider captain of the pirates that have boarded Storm Chaser. And this person, this boxer, this fighter with the braids, her eyes are fixed on the rapidly forming captain and her brow is knotted with concern. She, underestimating you, thinking you're no longer a threat now that you're at her mercy, is distracted with concern about her captain. But it can't be a concern about the fight because the captain is in a great position. The captain is in no danger, no threat. They have the upper hand. It seems to be deeper than that. What do you do with that information? Zainan closes his eyes, holding on to that, and whistles, willing the spirit of Morn to aid him. Why am I so surprised when I literally gave this uh, item to you last session? Oh, the classic Connie moment where I'm like, what the fuck is this quickness that I gave you? Yes, where are you trying to summon Morn to appear physically? Directly behind this boxer. This giant pin wolf right behind you, hello. Yep, you whistle, and I think it's dangling from your arm or belt, It's right here, it's like right in the middle of his chest. Mm. The middle of your chest, right from your shawl. Uh, We see this like glittering, beautiful, perfectly unclouded diamond. Swing once, swing twice, and then shine, like pulse with light. And then behind Umber, as though erupting out of the mist that's descended upon Storm Chaser is a massive ghostly pinwolf, easily the size of like a fully grown adult brawler. This row of snarling sharp teeth and these like razor dark black gumwork, I think is visible even from its translucent fur. Its ears are pinned back, its eyes are bright crimson and its fur is a uh, pure snowy white with a single uh, streak, I think, going kind of down its back of this dark, beautiful, dusty gray. And Morn lunges forward and attacks Umber from behind. Umber was not expecting you to summon a ghost wolf (laughs) to attack them from behind. Uh, That's out a uh, and is knocked overboard. She, I think, falls down past you, uh, and right before she hits the ground, she throws out a hand and we see a grappling hook come out from her equipment and it lodges onto a nearby uh, mast, not the one that you're on, and she kind of swings herself to safety, but she is no longer in melee with you. Good dog. Good doggy. Sayer, these two twins, one with the nunchucks, uh, one with the staff twirling it, they rush you. And this happens, I think, moments before their captain lets out the whistle. Uh, So they're not distracted or summoned by it quite yet. So as both of them are tackling you, one from either side, what do you do to defend yourself? Sayer takes a beat to breathe. The hunt has begun. And he will pull out his crescent blaze, these moon sickles out from his back and wields them and he spins them playfully as he closes his gauntlets so he's ready to wield these and he's looking at either or of these twins all right both of you then and he will move his shoulders and arms as if he's reloading his arms and he is going to what i'm going to do is take any and every hit until i find my opening patience 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 may i roll an iron embrace can i yeah you know what that that? feels like it yeah yep so you're being kind of defensive until they let like a weakness show in their attack go for it so that's 3d6 amazing so that is four and two twos Ooh, that could have been really four with a twist okay That's still a conflict. That means you succeed, but there is a bit of a drawback. So Mm -hmm. yeah, you do manage to parry and defend, but I think 
collectively they get to get like a one mark on you, right? A little mm-hmm. bit of a glance mm-hmm. from a nunchuck here, right? A little bit of a smack on the back uh, from the staff here. Like, I think you're just getting a bit nicked and bruised as you're dodging mm. and weaving. You're doing your best. You're not completely taken out of commission, but what you do notice is that these two are perfectly in sync. They are you and sing at your peak. Uh, they don't need to talk to understand each other. They don't even need to signal. They just seem to be like, it's almost like they're reading each other's minds. It's like they're one soul split between two bodies. They're so in tune with each other. The twist you get is looking at them, you can tell that these are two siblings who have been there for each other through thick and thin. They have been each other's everything, each other's lifeline, each other's light and darkness, each other's hope and despair. They are everything to each other. Uh, And that might also be where you can exploit a weakness. (laughs) If you want, you get the sense that if you were to hurt or damage one of them, the other might be compromised emotionally. Their strength is also their weakness. Like they're not as effective alone or apart. And I think you see echoes of yourself and sing in how they move, both what you could be and what you aren't quite yet. Honey, I have something fucked up for you. <laughs> I love it when you have something fucked up for me, hit me. I have something so fucked up for you. Sayer, notice this, and would my assumption be right that the one wielding the nunchucks is stand, would stand closer to me and is kind of like taking up more of the space closer to me? Yes. So the rhythm of this like scrimmage so far has been the one with the nunchucks engaging you in melee, forcing you to be on the hind foot, but then from behind, the person with the staff punishes you for the space you're trying to create. And Sayer feels this rumble within his chest. Violence. And what I'm going to do is attempt to use my moonsicle to go through the hole of the nunchuck as it's about to hit me and claw right into the hand of the wielder. So I have a grip and I can throw them at the other sibling while they're distracted. (laughs) Okay, as the uh, moonsicle flashes down, I think right before that connects, the whistle from the captain rings out, and that causes this nunchuck wielder to immediately disengage. Mm -hmm. Like, boom, immediately take a step back. The staff wielder also takes a step back, and I think your sickle claws through air, but there is an understanding. Your intention there was violence. Your intention there was viciousness. Tell me, Sayer, were you drawing on Artemis's lessons or Arachnus's? Artemis, for now. Mm. As it goes through, the person with the nunchucks springs back, glances over at where their captain is, looks back at you, and that grin widens. She cocks her head a little bit more to the side and says, you're pretty good. You must have a pretty good teacher. And the person with the staff spins it and kind of stops attacking you, now circling you. The whistle seems to have halted their immediate assault on you. And he says, well, we've had a pretty good teacher too. Good. Your teacher should tell you not to take your eyes off the enemy and I will pulse forward. Yes, as you rush forward again with those moon sickles, we cut to Lumira. This person, Benny, as you have ascertained, is now, I think, kneeling on the ground, bleeding out of commission for now, like wincing, grabbing at their ankle. And these two fighters are now swarming you. From your left, that nimble boxer flashing forward with the hand wraps, they like hold themselves like a featherweight champion, right? Like using dexterity and like full precision muscular angular attacks, while the other pirate, the one with the yo-yo, maintains a medium distance from you, right? And you can see that yo-yo flashing as they and try to like sling that weapon forward, aiming right for your temple. How are you guarding yourself or counterattacking? The easiest way I can put it, like describing like what it is that I'm doing is like Black Widow, like she jumped and swung her body forward so her legs were wrapped around his neck. Like she's sitting on his shoulders and her legs are wrapped around his neck and like is in a grip. And she wants the one who's wrapped up like the boxer itself because if she can get up there, she's going to use her being up there to her advantage. So if old boy hits her with that yo-yo, he's going to be hitting his partner, not me. 
Okay, so you want to jump on top of the boxer, wrap your legs around their neck, basically, and turn in such a way that the yo-yo hits their partner. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's going to be a roll. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say the edge is probably grace. You're, we're looking for agility here. We're looking for precision. Okay. You're trying to sell me on something else, though. And the skill probably flourish. Showmanship, performance, art, artistry, versatility. But again, pitch me something. Pitch me something, Lumira. I'll take grace, because I don't mm-hmm. know if iron would apply. Okay, what about a skill? Ooh, so like, this is fun for me, actually. So I don't have a pip in either of those things. Okay. So... That means you get to roll 1d6, and 1D6. you get a triumph treated as a conflict. Okay, cool. <laughs> Five. That's a conflict! <laughs> I think time is still slightly slow for you. Right, you're a healer and you're maybe some kind of mage, but you're not really thinking about that right now. But time is slightly slowed for you. So that allows you, I think, to launch yourself up and do that maneuver that I don't think you could have succeeded on if time wasn't going slow for everyone else and particularly fast for you. We see you successfully like twist around on the boxer as like a swing goes wide. And I think combined with the momentum from the torque of your hips along his shoulders, he stumbles and turns around kind of like this right as the yo-yo flashes out. And I think the yo-yo, it clips the boxer in the back. Uh, and the boxer lets out a God damn it, Pan! Uh, and like stumbles, we hear like a sharp crack. This boxer is skinny. Their friend probably just like fractured two of their ribs. <laughs> it's an iron yo-yo from behind. They gah, stumble, right? And they're trying to get you, uh, get you off of their face. Uh, while Pan, this yo-yo person, was all anger, all rage, I think blinded by their concern for their friend who's on the ground, Benny, who's kind of ah, ah, wincing and grabbing at their ankle. They, they pause and they kind of deflate a little. They let out a, oh, oh no. God damn it. I'm sorry. I always mess things up. And Benny, uh, kneeling on the ground, goes, ah, It's all right, Pan. You don't always mess things up. That's your own insecurity talking. We still love you, right? Yes, but I'm a little uh, preoccupied right now, so Calm help would be nice. down. The harder you fight, the more l- tighter my legs go around your neck. Good. At least buy me dinner first, lady. Tighter. Oh. I tighten my legs around his neck. Oh. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Partner, uh. I suggest you drop the yo-yo. I think the conflict is, just as you kind of had have these, these boys, non-binary, on the ropes, the person on the ground picks up the fan they were wielding, and they let out a, I think, a kind of graceful trill of a laugh. <laughs> no, I may not mind spending time on my knees, especially for such a pretty woman as yourself, but those are my boys that I'm going to need you to drop. And she flaps that fan once and a powerful gust of wind erupts from the fan and I think hits you, right? And I think kind of like airbending, kind of punches you off of Vosh, but you're able to kind of land on your feet and roll away, but you have been disengaged. And now this trio is starting to get their groove back. Even though Benny's on the ground, Benny still has access to this fan, right? Can't move, but can still use this thing. We see the boxer uh, kind of uh, stumble, clutching at their rib. Uh, The yo-yo wielder runs over and says, "Are are you okay, Vosh? I know we tried that maneuver, but no one's ever hopped on your face before. I mean, not that way. Yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. Oh, my ribs. I'm gonna have to ice this after. Speaking of ice, are we still on for sorbet? Are we gonna do that sorbet date that we were talking about? Ah, yes, yes, sorbet and gelato. Uh, Don't forget, uh, I'm trying my- Legitimate right now. All three of them pause and turn to look at you. And you immediately know this is like a polycule. Uh, the three of them, <laughs> the three of them are sweethearts with each other, and you kind of interrupted their date planning. Uh, and Vosh, the boxer, let's have a. We are very for real right now. We've been trying to plan a date for like weeks, but Captain's been having us, you know, on one of our sprints, ah, looking for that ghost. Uh, and Benny kind of slaps Vosh on the knee, gives them a kind of like sharp look, and Pan says, "I, I thought we weren't supposed to say what Captain was looking for." 
Well, I usually don't talk. You're usually the one that lets things slip on account of me having two fractured ribs, Pam. This is Ugh. the time that y'all decide to have this conversation now when you are trespassing aboard my ship. We're pirates, darling. You have to excuse us for doing what pirates do. Yeah, no, that I understand. It's the discussion about your date after said siege that, y- y- you know what, never mind. And that's when a sharp whistle rings out from the captain. And these three pirates, I think, jerk their heads in Axel's direction. Axel, you have formed around the prin. Suhyun looks up at you. You easily tower over this person. They're like in their early 20s at most, right? And their eyes, uh, this kind of washed out pale black, are blinking up at you, a kind of angular, extremely average and rather forgettable face, but something about the intensity of the expression, something about the slick hair that falls in this like cut around them strikes you. And I think there's a moment as you're encircling over them, obviously not trying to hurt them, you whistle and then they say, you have many eyes. Thank you, dear. I'd like you to stay very calm and very still, and no harm will come to you. Okay, are you the captain? Yes. I see, you know who I am? Yes. I see, are you from the Surge? Yes. (laughs) I see, which of your eyes should I look at if I wish to peer into your mind? Right here, pointing at the sort of two swirling eyes. Okay. And Suhyun's eyes lock onto those two swirling eyes, and you can feel them. It's not painful or obtrusive. It's like a knock at the door. As they try to peer into your memory, do you let them in, or do you keep the door closed? Um, I'm an open book. That's fine. There's different styles of communication. This is okay. Um, I mean, there's like there's 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 doors that are closed. But like, there's a home to walk around. You know, some of the doors might not open. You might have to knock again, but yeah. Sure, so using this home metaphor, let's say, what does your mind palace look like, (laughs) Axel? Does it look like the fourth guide or does it look like a different home? I think it looks like the fourth guide. Let's go with that, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a knock at the captain's quarters of the fourth Uh guide. The door comes open and Suhyun steps into the threshold of your mind. What do they see immediately? What are the surface memories or thoughts that you don't hide? The surface memories and thoughts that I don't hide are about how well actually business is kind of going. There is a concern regarding like the calamities and like what's happening on the verdancy in terms of like keeping my 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 pirates safe. There is also a gnawing recognition that at some point, uh, begrudgingly, we have to go back home so that people can see their loved ones. But I would rather stay out on the sea and look mm. for for Iffy, and like Iffy. Iffy, the thought of Iffy is so hard to hide because it it is all-consuming. I think, like, if you lift up a bit of paper inside um, the captain's quarters, you'll find Iffy. If you look inside of a a jug of water, you'll find Iffy inside the water. Whatever you're looking at, the items that you're picking apart inside this place, they'll all just go back to Iffy. Mm. Every time. It'll all just kind of cycle. There's thoughts, but there's, like, the central kind of thing. That's um, that's kind of like uh, focused, razor sharp, and really uh, dense, like a dull ache, like something's missing, like um, like a phantom limb kind of mm. feeling. Yeah, the prince steps in, takes like half, like a fraction of a second in real time to just absorb all of this, and those eyes, I think blink and that kind of washed out black flashes with focus for a second as you see recognition click in their gaze as an image of Iffy's face floats between the two of you. And then before you can respond, Axel, your spider scout this entire time has still been below deck. You've still seen that superimposed ghostly image on top of everything you're doing. And now you feel your spider scout stop moving and you see a face in front of the spider scout, a very large face, a pair of faces, actually. You see 
Somebody you don't recognize with uh, medium brown skin, these antlers curved out from her head and a mane of like pure white hair. But most strikingly, her eyes, their eyes are pure, bright. They are the brightest, pinkest pink you've ever seen. It's breathtaking, really. I think it takes your spider scout's breath away. Like they're hanging upside down from the wall and they like, oh, like they gasp a little as they see this person's pink eyes. The other person, what the fuck is the scion of the Raya? The scion of body, Abasi Zahar, the princess. And these two people are running down the hallway from below deck and they're heading toward a set of stairs. And the pink eyed person pauses even as a pink longsword is conjured in her grasp. And she turns her head and looks directly at you, not at the scout, at you through the scout's eyes. Like something about her lets her sense that you're watching her. And then she lets out a smile and a, aww. Aren't you cute? And then Abasi Zahar says, sing! And Sing lets out a, oh yes, coming! Uh, and both of them like rush up the stairs and simultaneously as your spider scout sees them go up the stairs, you hear one of the trap doors leading below deck fly open and surfacing out of the ladder are Abasi Zahar and Sing, Sayer's twin, a spitting image of him, but somehow uh, more sun-kissed than he is. Uh, I think she at first moves in to go to where Seir is engaged with the twins, but then she pauses as she sees you. She turns away from helping her twin and looks at Captain. And that's when the Prin, whose eyes have not strayed from your eyes this entire exchange says, you know Igni? This episode was edited by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our original intro theme music is by Jonathan Charles. Transplaner RPG is supported by our incredible Patreon precepts. Folks pledge to our highest tier on Patreon. A massive thank you to Charles, Cora Eckert, Chiacres, Lex Slater, Scruffesis, Hat, Alex, Mark J, Lyle and Peanut, Spencer, Brooke in Seattle, Derek Davidson, Phil, Jordan, Cassidy, and Rose. Pledge to our Patreon today for as little as $3 a month to unlock exclusive news, character sheets, GM notes, and even the chance for your tabletop OC to cameo in our show. Until next time, Transplay Nerds!